Well, good morning, church. Thank you for the welcome, Pastor Lisa. It's good to be with you today. Just thinking as that little video was playing, thinking, ah, there's a connection. Amy, your pastor's daughter, made the video. So there we go. to speak to you this morning about family matters, specifically about fostering faith formation. One of the surprising findings in the EFC 2023 Parenting Faith Report that will be published the middle of next month is that parents who rarely attend church are more confident about nurturing their children's faith than parents who regularly attend church. Yes, you heard correctly. You don't need another cup of coffee. (laughs) Parents who attend church sporadically are more likely to believe they're doing a good job fostering their children's faith than parents who attend church regularly. Now, how is this possible? Psychology helps us understand this anomaly. There's a theory called the Dunning-Kroger effect that postulates, and I quote from the theory, those who lack knowledge or skill in certain areas tend to overestimate their own competence, and conversely, those who do have skill and knowledge tend to underestimate their competence. Here's another fascinating finding. In the 2021 multinational uh, research on children's ministry, many children's ministry pastors say that most parents don't know how to nurture their children's faith. They also say that most parents expect the church to cultivate their children's faith even when parents know it's their priority, they still expect the church to do this. I've been wondering about these statistics. Are they true? Have Christian parents abdicated their duty to nurture their children's faith? Have church leaders fostered a leave-it-to-the-expert mentality and usurped the parent's role. Or maybe the the consumer culture has blinded us to our God-ordained responsibilities in the home. Let's turn to God's Word for some answers as we think about this a little further. I will have up on the screen from the New International Version Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. If you have uh, uh, a printed Bible, feel free to open that. If you have your phone with you and want to pull up your Bible app, uh, do that as well. I want to ask you to stand with me as we read the Word. I'm going to comment on this Word in just a moment, and it's just commentary The most important part of what we do today is to hear from God's Word directly. So listen carefully 
to the word of the Lord. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of our ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Amen? Please be seated. Father God, as we open your word now, we ask you to speak, Lord. You've already spoken to us through your word. Now, Lord, as we seek to dig into your word, we need to hear from you. We're a needy people. Speak, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Deuteronomy 6 starts a whole new beginning for a whole generation of people. As Moses begins to speak to the nation of Israel, I can picture the people hanging on every word. After all, these words become the words that form the nation of Israel and guide it for generations to come even to this day. And they no less essential For each one of us. For these words are God's blueprint for passing the faith from one generation to the next. Fast forward to today. I want to ask you this question as you hear. Do you have children, grandchildren, or great-grandchildren? After all, there's a 93-year-old we heard about this morning. Just as we're sitting here, or as you're watching on your screen from your home or wherever you might be, what are the names of those children, grandchildren, or even great-grandchildren? What are their names? Picture where they live. Think about their faces. What are they maybe doing right now? 
Hopefully a whole lot of them are with Bria downstairs. Maybe they're a little older than that. Now just narrow that down, which may be difficult, because in my case I have 11 grandchildren, so I'm now asking you just to pick one, one name. One of those children, grandchildren, or great-grandchildren, just one. Tell the person next to you that name. Just share that name quickly with the person next to you. Different generations. My family line goes back to a guy called Adam and his wife Eve. And yours does too. But we're not here for a family reunion today. We're here to examine God's Word and consider its application for us right here, right now. And so, the first of four points that I want us to press into this morning is this. Faith formation involves everyone. The context of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is three little words. For years I read this and missed these three words. Hear, O Israel. Don't skip over those three words. This message is for a whole nation and people, not just a targeted segment. It's for the whole faith community. Reaching and equipping successive generations to love and live for Jesus involves everyone. No exceptions. It includes youth with younger siblings and young adults at university and empty nesters and senior citizens and the pastors and leaders in this church. It involves everyone. Everyone has a part to play. God never intended children's faith formation to be the sole responsibility of parents and grandparents. We're in it together. So it's not someone else's job to connect children with Jesus and his story. God needs you and you and you and you and you. He needs everyone. So as I think about that, another little question. Are you connected with a child here at Rosewood, in your church? You personally, as you sit here this morning, are you connected with one of the children? According to the evangelical Christian polling firm, the largest in the world, an American polling firm called the Barner Group, children are three times more likely to read the Bible independently, obey the Scriptures, and rank church attendance as the highlight of their week when they have meaningful relationships with one or more adults in their church. 
Wow. It's not programs that change people's lives. It's people. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone. Second thing that I see in the text is that faith formation starts with me, which also means you. It starts with us. The object of the Deuteronomy passage is our hearts. In verses 5 and 6 we read there, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now the biblical definition of the heart is the totality of our being. In most instances in the scriptures, when you read that word heart, it's not speaking about the physical organ, nor is it speaking about the seat of your emotions uh, as an isolated part. It's speaking about your intellect, your affections, your imagination, your reasoning powers, your intentions, everything that makes you who you are. That's your heart. So to love the Lord with all your heart is to love Him with all of your emotions, intellect, and will. I like how the late Eugene Peterson paraphrases these verses in the message. This is what he says. He says, write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you, and then get them inside of your children. That's powerful. If God's word isn't branded on my heart, on the totality of my being, there's no way I can impress it on a child's heart. But when my faith is authentic, it endorses what I teach my children and grandchildren. I had a funny little incident this morning. One of my grandchildren... Uh, little seven-year-old boy called Malachi. He's staying with me for the weekend with Karen and I. He's come to visit, have a weekend with his grandparents. So as he was getting ready to go off to church with my wife this morning, I pulled out a toonie and gave him the toonie. And he looked at that and he said, what's that for, Grampy? I said, well, they take up an offering and it's for you to put into the offering." Oh, he said. A little later, he comes back, and he's obviously been thinking about this, and he's holding this toonie. And he said, tell me again about this. So I said, well, I've given it to you. It's yours. You can actually do anything you want with it. You can keep it, or when you get to church, you can put it in the offering plate. He smiled, he looked at me, he says, I think I'll keep it. <laughs> you know, there's opportunities every moment of every day to be sharing the faith with our children and grandchildren. Listen up, mums and dads, listen up. 
The best gift you can give your children is your love for Jesus. How many of you have your phone with you today? I'm going to do something completely opposite to what we normally do. We normally say, keep it away and make sure it's turned off. I did turn mine off. But now I need you to open it up, if you've got it with you. And I want you to send a message to yourself, or you can send it to your spouse if you don't know how to send it to yourself. So you're going to take your phone, and I want you to just type in using the little keyboard there, the best gift I can give my son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter, you choose. Maybe it's the name of the person we were speaking about earlier. Type that person's name is in. The best gift I can give my daughter or son or I can give in the name of the person is my love for Jesus. I want you to get that message or I want your spouse to get that message to remind us in the days ahead that that's the gift we bring to our children and grandchildren. Fostering faith is for everyone, first of all. Secondly, it starts with me. And thirdly, faith formation is a journey. It's a journey. The outworking of the Deuteronomy passage is a process. Deuteronomy verse seven, chapter 6 and verse 7 says, impress them, speaking about the Scriptures, impress them on your children. The New Living T uh, Translation says, repeat them again and again to your children. Again and again. Faith formation isn't a one-off exercise, nor can it be compartmentalized. Faith formation is a 24-7 undertaking. It's ongoing. My youngest son will soon be in his 30s, and his older siblings will soon be in their 40s. My three children and their tremendous spouses have blessed me with 11 grandchildren, as I've already mentioned to you. And my wife and I are sort of empty nesters. My nearly 95-year-old mother-in-law still lives with us. But our God-given responsibility to foster our children's faith formation didn't end when they moved out of our home. Karen and I are obligated for the rest of our lives to equip and encourage our children to follow Jesus. There's no retirement from passing on our faith to our children. We do it naturally and normally whenever and wherever we can. I like the way Moses in the text describes the process, the journey. He uses opposites, sitting, walking, lying down, getting up, to indicate that any time is suitable for talking about the Lord. 
Fostering faith formation shouldn't be complicated. There are three simple things we can all do. First of all, we can talk about Jesus and His Word in the home, according to Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7. We can talk about Him in the home. Even the busiest families sit down to eat a meal together. And research indicates that when families eat together at least five times a week, they build strong, enduring bonds. Now, I didn't know about that research when I was a a young father, but it was in my heart, and I determined from when I started having children that we would always make sure our schedules worked for us to be together at the dinner table in as much as that was possible. There were occasions when we didn't. But I have to tell you that as I look back now, was tremendously formative for our family. Prioritizing table time nourishes our children's faith and spiritual growth. The kitchen table, certainly in our home, is where we connected with God's Word interactively and experientially. And if my children were here today... They would tell you it's where we grapple to understand and develop a biblical worldview that we could live by. And I don't think I was a great father, far from it. But I do think that simple discipline of connecting at the dinner table around God's Word was hugely formative in my children's lives. And they all serve the Lord. They're all worship leaders in churches. It's wonderful to see what God's done with them. Secondly, so we must talk about Jesus and His Word in the home. We must talk about Jesus and His Word in the car. Now, when you're in the car, you have a captive audience. Now, the text says when you're walking along the road. They didn't have cars then. We go along the road in our cars. And I love the fact And when I'm in my car with my family, they can't escape me. Man, it's it's better than being in church here. Like, you could say, oh, I've heard enough of that preacher, and just walk out. When I'm in the car, doors are locked. They're there. It's a beautiful opportunity to share what God is doing in your life. So over the years, I, I have used the car to chat, talk about Jesus, to debate issues, even to pray together, although I'm careful not to close my eyes if I'm driving. Oh, my wife would roll her eyes at that and go, oh, not another one of his feeble dad jokes. My colleague Sydney's going, yeah. She's heard my feeble jokes in the office. (laughs) Thirdly, we must talk about Jesus and His Word in the bedroom. Before we go to bed or get up in the morning are great times for reflection and contemplation. Family ministry specialist Phil Bell says, and I quote from his book, for the most part, children just seem to be more spiritually sensitive and a lot more open 
at bedtime. So we speak about Jesus. Fostering faith formation isn't complicated. We keep an eye open for teachable moments and bring faith into daily life. We talk about Him in the home, in the car, and in the bedroom. Fourthly, faith formation is deliberate. The requirement of the Deuteronomy passage is intentionality. Verses 8 and 9 Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, devout Jewish believers take this text literally, and they've created phylacteries, which are a little box with a a ribbon that gets tied around their head, and inside that is the Shema, that little verse that we read a little earlier in the passage. Here, O Israel, the Lord is one. And they put a mezuzah, also with a little scripture passage with the Shema inside it on the doorframe of their home, and some will even put it on the gate of their house. Now, I don't think God intended necessarily for these verses to be applied that way. But He does want families to have practices and priorities that deliberately keep Jesus and His Word at the forefront of our everyday activities. So another question for you. What are the priorities and practices in your home for impressing the Scriptures on your children? Catholic author and writer Life Kervolt views family life as revolving around ritual, routine, and rhythm. Creating a structured environment in the home is essential. If there's disorder in the home, children are focused on survival. But when there's order in the home, Children are more likely to reflect on their feelings and identity, which are critical factors in faith formation. So don't compartmentalize faith formation from daily living. Create intentional moments and traditions and experiences that integrate Jesus and His Word into your family's everyday lives. So with that in mind, and just as we start to wrap up, let me conclude with three practical implications that are embedded in Deuteronomy. Three implications. Number one, God wants parents to take the primary role in fostering their children's faith formation the primary role. Came across research a while back that indicated that here in North America, the average child who is part of a Christian home attends church 1.7 times a month. 
So under twice a month, the average child comes to church if they're part of a Christian family. 1.7 times a month. Now I know those of you who are clever in math, you're already calculating, aren't you? And what's the outcome? You've worked out that adds up to 24 hours in the year. One day. That the average child from a Christian home connects with the church. Just one day. Common sense tells us that we can't, if we're just relying on the church, we can't form a child's faith in one day a year. Right? Interestingly, the average parent interacts with their child for more than 3,000 hours a year. 3,000 hours a year. Who has God positioned to nurture the faith formation of the child? The parent. Second implication in the text is this. God wants the community of faith, the local church, to take a secondary supportive role in fostering children's faith formation. But it's a secondary role. It's they, the church is there to equip parents to nurture their children's faith and to supplement with what they are doing in the home. Thirdly, God wants us to foster faith formation so that we, our children and grandchildren, will respect and love the Lord as long as we live. That's the whole basis of verse 2. Why are we talking about this? Because God wants every child to live for Him, to love Him, to serve Him, to be all about Him. Every child. Are you hearing God's Word? Not hearing many amens. Do you do that in your church? you hearing God's Word. In fact, it's not enough to hear, is it? We must listen. To listen is to act on what we've heard. So what do you need to act on this morning? What has the Holy Spirit impressed on your heart and mind? Is there one thing you're going to do when you leave here today? And if so, what is it? Don't miss the opportunity to pursue what God prioritizes. Don't miss out on the wonderful gift of giving yourself for the good of others. Successive generations need you to tell and teach them about the phenomenal works and wonders of the Lord. Here's something that 
is so heavy on my heart. I think I think about this nearly every day. This generation of Canadian children are more disconnected from Jesus, His Word, and His church than any previous generation in the history of this nation. Mm. Mm. Don't keep the Lord to yourself. Don't hinder your children from coming to Jesus. Generation Alpha, they're the children being born from 2010. They desperately, desperately need us to connect them with Jesus and His Word. Will you tell them about Him? Turn to the person next to you and say this, a child needs you to help them grow up with Jesus. A child needs you to help them grow up with Jesus. I find it very interesting at my stage of life, especially as I speak to people who are now retired from the workforce. Many of them, when we start talking about more serious stuff, they say, I don't feel like I have any purpose anymore. That's so sad. You have purpose. God has appointed you to help this young generation grow up with Jesus. I love Psalm 78. First eight verses speak about what we're speaking about today as well. And in that little portion of Scripture, it speaks about sharing the Lord even to the generation yet to be born. I love that little phrase in Psalm 78. Wow. That's the calling on my life and your life. There's a child who needs you. So don't insulate or isolate yourself from God's purpose for your life. Let's just rewind quickly with me here. And remember I asked you to come up with one name of a child or grandchild or great-grandchild. Pull that name back up. I don't think the Lord's given you that name by accident. He's put that name into your heart and mind today said, you'll reach out. said, you'll share the Lord. said, you'll come alongside and build relationship and pray and nurture that person 
in the way of the Lord. Each one should reach one. God wants you to tell the next generation the stories about what God has done in your life, to answer questions about faith, and to live out a life of faith for others to see. Fostering faith formation of the next generation matters. And the power of the Holy Spirit, let's bring the little children to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We've been listening. And now we need you to help us to act on your word. To be Nike Christians, to just do it. Lord, don't let any of us leave this place today without an intentionality, without a plan, without a desire to nurture the faith formation of someone younger than ourselves. Lord, even as we are bowed before you in prayer now, put into our minds those practical things we could be doing. A phone call, a visit, a meal shared together, an email or a letter. Help us connect. And when we do, guide us in a very natural way to share your story, to live out the way of Christ so that the younger generations will come to know and love you. Lord, hear our prayer, not just for our own families, but for our friends and neighbors. Hear our prayer. Hear our prayer for this nation, that children from sea to sea, from south to the north, in every province and territory, Hear our prayer for the children, for a revival of faith in this land, for a generation to turn to Jesus. Hear our prayer. Lord, we can't do this in our strength. We need you. Fill us with your spirit. Give us your word. Help us to impress the scriptures on the children. For your honor and glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to share with you this morning. It's been a joy and a privilege. And I want to just bless Rosewood with peace.
and a few resources very quickly to help you. Uh, one is the blog Children's Ministry Basics. So it's just childrensministrybasics.com. Loads of great parenting articles in there. It should be called Children's Ministry Basics, Parenting, Christian Parenting Basics, Family Ministry Basics. It should have all of those names because it covers all of those subjects. And then I want to tell you that we have a book table out there full of resources for the family. Some great uh, Bible reading resources for all age groups. Check that out on your way out. I want to especially mention to you this little pack. It's an interactive, experiential Bible engagement, sort of like a game for families. It's called Family Quest. We developed it with families during uh, COVID-19. We got their input. It started out as a board game. It's ended up as a pack of cards. It's transforming families. We'd love for you to buy a pack of that. If, if you haven't got any children or anyone at home, buy a pack and pass it on to somebody who has. And then because we're not that far away from the Christmas story and it speaks about wise men bringing gifts, and even though I'm not a wise man, I know that people's faces light up when they get a gift. I've brought a gift for you. So the things on the book table you'd have to buy but this book, Bible Engagement Basics, I know some of you bought it last time I was here, will be a gift for you this time. My colleague Sydney is with me from Script Union. She will work the book table. She can take credit or cash. I'll be standing next to the book table to chat to you and to give you a copy of this book. God bless you all.